Now you also see, you'll probably see a pop-up come up. So just click your screen and eliminate the pop-up. Let me repeat that. So I wanna get it on the recording. By the way, the recording is going to be made available for this program. It'll be up on our YouTube channel tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Schrager is a clinical psychologist with over 25 years experience in private practice. Currently she's conducting research in the area of inherited trauma, and she's in the process of writing her book on this topic. In addition, she created the website danastable.com where she shares recipes. And Dana runs two amazing Facebook groups with over 20,000 members. Um, and Dana, why don't you tell us what those uh, URLs or those Facebook names are so people can know. Um, hi, thank you. Welcome everybody. I'm so excited to see everybody here. And I have a slide later in the presentation with the URL. So I'll be able to show you that and tell you more about it and also how it connects to my family's legacy and healing. Okay, so what we're gonna start And with also I see someone's okay. asking for the YouTube channel. So we have slides um, with all the URLs and Jeffrey is gonna be putting the URLs in the chat as well. Yep. And um, so I wanna get started with how we're gonna conduct the meeting uh, today. Um, we obviously will, will eventually have four screens um, if everyone uh, who's our, who registered comes in, I'm not sure everyone will, but um, it's very important that we all use the chat. So I'm going to ask you to get used to click the chat button right now. And you'll see that the chat will say at the very bottom to everyone, you wanna make sure that you're going to be on everyone. You just hit the little down arrow and switch it to everyone in the meeting. I'm very interested to know how many of you are first time um, people coming to our programs. So if you are, put your name uh, there and say first time. And um, those who have come repeatedly, put your name in there so you know how to use chat as well. So I'll give you a couple of seconds to do that and you'll see it scroll by. Uh, so that you'll know how to use chat any questions that you have that you may want us to address later in the program, please feel free to um, add it to the chat. Dana is gonna be consciously looking at the chat and so will I. The other important area is this is a participatory um, storytelling event. And so we need to figure out how to manage in Zoom the ability to understand that you want to contribute. We can't have you just unmute yourself and start talking because this is very much like a walkie talkie. So the first person who talks gets ownership and we can't have each other talking over each other. So there's a really cool tool in um, Zoom. And if you look at your toolbar, you'll see something called the reactions button. If you click on the reactions button, you'll see something called hand raise. And you notice in my tile, which is up, in, up here, I have now raised my hand. Anybody who wants to speak, we want you to raise your hand. When you're finished speaking, please go to that same reactions button and lower your hand so we don't get confused unless you have a follow-up question. I see, um, so that's how we're going to know whether you wanna to speak to us because Zoom, once you raise your hand through that reactions button, you come to the front of the four screens and so we can see you easily. So, I'm going to uh, continue to admit people and I want to introduce my pal, uh, Dr. Dana. Um, so Dana, why don't you take it from here? 
Good morning, everyone, or I know we have people here from around the world, so I'm happy to have you all here today. Um, I know it's actually evening for some people on the screen, and I'm so honored to have you all here today to learn more about inherited trauma. Um, I hope you find this useful, that you, uh, our goal today is to help you understand better what inherited trauma is, um, how the trauma may have been inadvertently communicated to us as second generation or third there's an echo Tommy Do, is everybody getting an echo oh, I'll gosh. check it I'll check it out but um, no I have my earbuds in thank you for telling me um, it's coming in odd okay let me check I'm gonna switch to other earbuds but Jeffrey do you want to queue up my slides and I'll go switch sure. my earbuds in case the other pair works better. It'll just take me one second. Um, do you guys hear me now? Yes. Better. Much better. Much better. Okay. I, I switched to a later generation earbud. So thank you for telling me. Okay. Um, okay. So, okay. So Jeffrey, are you going to um, mute people except for me? Yes, they are already are muted. Okay. And I'll thank be watching you. that. Okay. So... All right, so Jeffrey has the first slide up. Um, Jeffrey, I think we're ready for the second slide. Okay, so I want to let you all know that the things that we talk about today um, and the resources that I have, I put on my website. So if you're looking for resources, if you're looking for URLs, um, this is the only URL you need because everything is going to be on this page. So take a screenshot or jot that down um, and that will be your guide uh, for after the presentation. Okay, so Jeffrey, um, next slide, please. Okay, so today we're gonna talk about inherited trauma. And um, this is the outline for today. So we're gonna talk about what it is, how do you know if you have it, uh, messages that we may have received in childhood. We're gonna have a lot of opportunity for um, audience participation so people in the audience can share their examples. Uh, we're gonna talk about paths towards healing. We have a lot of ideas and suggestions and then more opportunity for participation. So, um, okay, also when I got up, I mixed up the order of my pages. Okay, here we go. Okay, Jeffrey, so we're ready for the um, next slide. So what is inherited trauma? Okay, inherited trauma starts when one person in your family or several, could be your parents, could be your grandparents, uh, we're coming to, to fourth generation um, survivors. So it could even be great 
grandparents have experienced repeated trauma, some type of horrific protracted experience. And today we're talking about when family members have either experienced the Holocaust um, as well as the pogroms in Eastern Europe. Um, very similar dynamics um, come from those experiences as well. So after the trauma, the survivor copes as best they can. You know, they've been through very difficult experiences and they continue on, you know, with a lot of resilience, a lot of fortitude. And, but nevertheless, for a lot of people, the trauma can still um, affect their relationships going forward and the messages that they inadvertently transmit to their children. Um, this um, transmission of trauma can apply to any kind of trauma. Today, we're focusing on Holocaust and programs, but this really applies to any type of trauma. Uh, could be other genocide, could be slavery. Um, hold on, we're getting chat feedback, sorry. Are the voices still feel pixelated? No. Okay. Okay. No, okay, that was from before, sorry. Okay, so um how, how do you know if you have the trauma you know it it for a lot of us we didn't experience the trauma directly so we might not know um we might not know that it's that it's affected us um so how, how do you know first of all some of us have nightmares so we're going to be talking about that some of us have anxiety or depression that's bigger than our situation today. Every time, if we have feelings that don't match today's situation or our reactions of anger or anxiety um, or feelings of doom do not match our today's reality, those feelings might be coming from inherited trauma. Um, also, an another common symptom is intrusive thoughts. Um, um, for some people, it's fixations on uh, thoughts about the Holocaust, worries that make people ashamed and scared and embarrassed. I can't tell you how many people have told me I thought I was the only one who had thoughts like this. Um, so today we're going to take away the stigma. We're going to take away the shame. We're going to peel back the curtain. We're going to talk. I'm going to talk about a lot of examples. I'm going to talk about my own examples and I'm going to people um, a chance to talk about their examples so that people feel less alone and know that this is a common phenomenon and there's hope and there's paths to healing. And so a lot of today we'll be talking about that as well. Um, so um, let's see. Okay, so I think to make this more real, I'm gonna talk about my example and then we're gonna have Jeffrey play a video for you. So, um, I'm third generation and my mom is second generation. And I learned from my mom that uh, the message that the world is a dangerous place. When I was a teenager, every time I left the house, she had this barrage of instructions for me that was her anxiety. I think she was hoping to protect me. She was very overprotective, which drove me completely crazy as a teenager. And she gave me a barrage of instructions. Take a jacket, park in a safe place, stay with the crowd. You know, these are things 
that she taught me that I already knew, but to bind her anxiety, she had to give me all these instructions at the door. Um, fast forward a lot of decades, and I started doing the exact same things to my own teenagers um, until I caught myself. And to a large extent, I caught myself thanks to Eva Marimi, who is a member um, of this group that Jeffrey has organized. And um, I uh, talked to her and she couldn't be here today. But Eva gave um, her examples. And when I heard Eva's examples, I could understand that my examples were very exaggerated. So Eva said, that whenever she hears an ambulance pass her house, she automatically thinks that, oh, Jeffrey, you have the last slide on. Okay, Sorry. She, automatic, she automatically thinks that the ambulance is going to her parents' house, that something has gone traumatically wrong and the ambulance is going to her parents' house. So when I heard Eva's example, Okay, her example is in the realm of possibilities. If there is an ambulance going somewhere, it's possible it's going to her parents' house, but it's very highly unlikely. But Eva lives in, lives in that heightened state of anxiety and fear that this is what's really happening. So I realized that I was doing the same. When I was leaving the house or when my children were leaving the house, whereas danger is a possibility, it's also not likely. So. Um, this is the kind of inherited trauma and messages that we're talking about. And once you identify how it takes shape in you, you can uh, work on um, taking the power out of those kind of automatic thoughts. Um, okay, so I have a lot more examples. Um, but I think first we are going to go to a video. Um, so Jeffrey, um, could you queue up, um, video two, Jeff, Jeffrey and I have a Seinfeld episode for you that we want you to see. It's just two minutes. It's incredibly hysterical. George Costanza talks about his angst and what he does about it. And so it's so relatable because we could hear George be stuck in a rut, be stuck in his thinking, be stuck in his patterns but it ends up being so funny because of what um, George, uh, George does about it to move away from his fears. Thank you for having it all. Where are we at? Up to the beach. Up to the beach. Okay. What is that well, it'll turn out like this for me. I had so much promise. I was personable. I was bright. Oh, maybe not academically speaking. I was perceptive. I always know when something's uncomfortable at a party. It all became very clear to me sitting out there today, but every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's up and wrong. Soon on toast, toast, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, no, 
now wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. <laughs> I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad, online, untoasted, with a side of potato salad, and a cup of tea. <laughs> Telling what can happen from this. Chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna. The salmon swim against the current, and the tuna swim with it. Good for the two. Uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine. Bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up. Yeah, I should do the opposite. <laughs> if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. Oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. So let me take a second here. And uh, Dana shared some of what um, she has had. Now, my parents were both survivors, um, but they never spoke at all about their Shoah experiences. And any discussion was what my mom would say, verboten, um, which left me uh, in a really bad place, um, even though, and I can go all the way back to the fifth grade when the, my the teacher, Dr. F uh, uh, Mr. Fasciano, separated the good kids from the bad kids. And he put me in the back of the room as one of the bad kids. And I refused to go to school. My mother had to literally drag me with my sneakers rubbing into the cement two blocks to get me to go to school. And that was the very first time that I started to have headaches and nightmares. And I didn't know why. And my nightmares and headaches went all through my life. Um, maybe once or twice a year, I would get these similar headaches and nightmares. I was being in a cell being interrogated by Nazi Gestapo officers, no beatings, but every single time I would have the exact same dream. It's so bad that I would wake up in the middle of the night and have to take a shower because I was totally soaked. Now that continued all the way through 2019 when we retired to come to San Diego and my friend Freddie Packier, who may be on this, I think she was she's here. She invited me to go to the San Diego Generations of the Shoah, a second generation group, which has 100 members. And, and basically, I want you to know where I've come from. 
before 2019, I never would have watched a Holocaust film. I would have never watched a book, read a book. I never watched Schindler's List and I couldn't watch Hogan's Heroes. I just was totally traumatized by anything about the war, though my parents never left any dialogue that would make me the way I was. But in 2019, I met this Shoah group. It's not a therapy group, it's a social group. It has a hundred members. All of us are two Gs here in San Diego. And I realized for the first time that I wasn't alone, that other people, parents talked and many of them didn't talk. People had all kinds of headaches, all kinds of anxieties, all kinds of issues. And I finally realized that I wasn't alone. And so the, one of the goals here is to re make you realize that whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. And there are many, many, many people. And you see that there's now uh, over 60 people in the group right now and still more coming in, we need to help you. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so emotionally attached to this program. It's the second in our series. Last year, uh, Dana and I started this and um, we have, we've had over 500 people view the recording and on the live show. So I think you're going to find the storytelling as long as you guys are willing to participate with things that you've been feeling. And we're going to be not judgmental. We're going to be very open. We're not here to dismiss your feelings. And I know uh, I want to introduce uh, Jack Freed, who's on, if you can raise your hand, Jack. Jack wrote a book um, and he's going to, to be doing an Obligations of Memory uh, interview series with me. Jack, why don't you unmute yourself and tell the group what your book is called so that people welcome you and say hello to you. Hello, everybody. My name is Jack Freed. Thank you, Jeff, for introducing me. Um, I had written a book called Heirs of Auschwitz, um, a true st story of the Holocaust, um, transforming intergenerational trauma and the meaning of existence, which basically um, talks about my struggle growing up with um, severe separation anxiety that I've had that came out of nowhere, or so I thought. Um, I speak a little bit about how I cope, different coping mechanisms as a child, as an adolescent, as an adult, what I did, what I do, um, how I transformed this, this uh, debilitating, horrendous uh, anxiety that, uh, that I had, that I had actually, you know, one of my kids ends up suffering from it at, at the same time. But, you know, I don't want to take away from, from, today's, from today's talk because it sounds very interesting already. But um, you well, know. we're going we're gonna to ask you to drill into this a little bit. I want to also bring, before I get back to you, Dana, I know, I know I'm going a little off script, but I see Tommy's <laughs> in, on screen with a, with a beautiful hat. Tommy uh, did a program with us. Uh, and I want to have you just talk about your mother a little bit, the way you did in the program, so everyone can understand where you're coming from. Please unmute yourself, Tommy. Thank you. Yes, to talk about uh, my mom. Well, when I was listening before and I heard, uh, you know, the, the story about the the ambulance, uh, I thought to myself, like, well, uh, of course, if there's an ambulance, it, it must be coming for uh, my parents. I, I also picked that up because my parents also told me to be absolutely afraid of uh, everybody. And their rule was 
as follows, it, that everybody is bad and uh, evil and out to get you. And there are some exceptions. And that's how you look at the world. And my Canadian neighbors who were not children of Holocaust survivors saw it the other way around, that everybody's okay. And every now and then there are exceptions. But what being a child of Holocaust survivors does to you, when we came as immigrants to Canada from Hungary on, on, a, on, a, very cold, on a very cold day, um, my mom says, you can't go to school uh, today. I said, what do you mean I can't go to school? Well, she says, too cold outside. And I said, all the other kids are going to school. And uh, why are they going to school? And she says, because Canadian parents don't love their children. That, that's what she told me. A few years later, when I wanted to, like any kid in Canada, wanted to learn how to skate, right, and play hockey, uh, she told my father, who bought me a pair of skates, go ahead, you will take him out to go skating, and he will fall, and he will hurt his head, he'll crack his skull on the ice, and the blood will soak into the ice. If you want to take that chance, your responsibility. While they're discussing this, I, of course, have determined never to go skating. To this day, I don't know how to skate. I don't know how to swim. I don't know how to drive a bike. And I do not know, uh, excuse me, uh, how to drive a car. And I don't have a driver's license. Why? <clears throat> because all of these things, I was told, are very, very dangerous. And you just don't do them. And you don't take risks. But on the upside of it, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I also got a lot of chutzpah. Because my mother used chutzpah to survive. Uh, the book I wrote is called Makeup Tips from Auschwitz, How Vanity Saved My Mother's Life. She had a lot of chutzpah. I got a lot of chutzpah as well, which helped me in my uh, career. So there's, I'm sure this applies to everybody. We are what our parents uh, made us, the good and the bad. So I wanted to also ask Arlette, I know you're going to leave early. So I want you to unmute yourself and perhaps share your personal story quickly. <laughs> and tell us where you, tell us where you are. I'm in the Netherlands, also known as Holland. So it's uh, 7.30 in the evening here. Hi, everybody. Uh, for 50 years, I had this problem and I thought I was the only one on the planet and I never spoke about it with anybody, including my husband, whom I have absolutely no secrets from. And the reason I never spoke about it is because I was 100% sure that if I did, people would think I was nuts and I didn't want them looking at me with pity and thinking that about me. Um, Someone suggested I write it down and it would help me. So I wrote it down and it turned into a very long book, which is now over 1200 pages. And as I was writing, it wasn't really uh, helping me get over my problem. It was helping me air it, getting it out on paper. So I was getting used to writing about it, but it wasn't helping me at all get over the problem. And uh, what I was searching for all along was to find out if there was anyone on the planet like me. So I knew I wouldn't be alone. And like me, I mean that did not have parents that were in camps. They escaped without ever being in camps. Grandparents who were not in camps, but somehow inherited the same or inherited trauma, which was with me, you know, every waking minute of my life, thinking of the Holocaust, that was my problem. And I wanted to find out if there was someone like me. So that was my mistake, was looking for someone who was like me because I later realized that no two stories are the same. And just because I can't find someone who has exactly my problem doesn't make me nuts. And the only thing that helped was when I met uh, 
Jeffrey and Dana and uh, Esther Gilbert, and they told me about their problems. And I knew that I wasn't alone out there. I didn't know what two or three G meant. And it was like the ugly duckling finding her family. And since then, it was like the elephant got off my chest. The problem is 90% uh, gone. You know, the amount of time I spent thinking of the Holocaust now is 10% of what it was. And just not no, just knowing that I'm not nuts and I can talk about it with you right now, complete strangers has changed my life completely. Thank you. And Zola from South Africa, I know you're with us, so maybe you can unmute and share something too. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm half in darkness. We have some power outages. So I knew that I had a lot of quirky things about me growing up. I knew my life was different to my friends. But a lot of it really came to light in the last program that you had when Dana was bringing up some things. I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. I guess it's a Holocaust thing. So there were lots of things like the hoarding everything just in case I've got a I have to buy two of everything at the supermarket. My poor husband has tried for years to say Zola we we live, you know, 5 minutes. They now deliver since lockdown. We're not going to run out of anything, but I have to have the just in case hoarding the food definitely there must be enough food and food for what every single person or visitor likes must be available in my house, mustn't run out. I also prepare, I over prepare for the worst scenario. Um, I will think of every possibility or inevitability that might occur and I will be prepared for it. I think I, think I live in a state of preparedness. The other thing I don't like to do is to leave home if I have something important scheduled later, if I'm doing a show, if I entertain, or there are people coming, or there's something important, I don't want to leave it home in case something will happen, and then I won't be available. And as the most traumatic one for me, as a little child, I knew subconsciously that I didn't want to abandon my family, particularly my mother. Both my parents were Holocaust survivors, and she was only 16 when she went to the ghetto. But I didn't want to go to school every day. And from grade one, which was our sub A, I cried every single morning at school for an hour. I didn't know why I was crying, but I learned later on. I had no reason to cry as far as I knew because I was happy. I was a happy little child. And I was a happy girl. Nothing bad happened at school to me. But I figured out later that I didn't want to also abandon my mother. I didn't want to leave her at home alone, have another family member leave and not come back or something. And that was like a big one for me. So I have a whole list of others. And my sister wrote a book called No Goodbyes because um, none of us, none of them had chances to say goodbyes. And she has a whole chapter on her intergenerational trauma and the things that we went through and subconsciously and inherited through the epigenetics and DNA. So I'm hoping, thanks, thanks Zola so much. I'm hoping that these stories will start to crystallize thoughts in each of you 
and we're going to keep this going. So I would love everyone to uh, put their screens on because it's kind of hard to talk to someone who is, has a black tile. So if you don't mind putting your screens on, I also want to uh, pay my and honor those who have our survivors here with us. And so Jackie Gamash, raise your hand there so we can see hello to you. Ruth Lindemann, say hello to Ruth, who's a survivor. We have also Sammy Steigman, who um, if he's not on screen one, but he's with us. We have Ruth Bollinger with us. And I, I think also Devorah, you're a survivor as well. Is that right? Yep. So I want you also to kind of figure out how you can play into this storytelling in a way that is part of the theme. It would be very, very beneficial to hear from first generation survivors. And obviously I want to keep, it's a very touchy subject. It made traumatized. So I don't want to take this into that area. This is supposed to be an uplifting program, but if you can provide something like that, I would really love to hear it. So Jackie, can you unmute yourself? I knew you would jump in, be the first one to jump in, but so go ahead. Because you said something very important, uplifting program. And I wanted almost to address that in a sense to uh, Dr. Schrager. Uh, my husband is a Holocaust survivor. Uh, he is today 84 uh, and he lived some difficult times. He was a hidden child in Grenoble for four years. Uh, from the age of four to seven or seven, eight. But at the age of four, his father, they were living in the surrounding of Paris, was called by the French police to report himself. And he went and David was there with his aunt. And they took the guy and never brought him back. That means he was sent to Duancy, and again, it's an arrest by the French police. And you know the story of the French police in France during the war. That means the kid comes back home without a father. Okay, the kids became my husband 54 years ago, and life is beautiful. Nothing affects him, nothing, nothing. Uh, like in in any life, you have points of sorrows, worries, of despair, of fight. Uh, we had what, as I will identify, four major not not life frightening, but four major events where we needed a lot of attentions. Okay, one with our daughter, one with the money, or whatever. But David is a happy guy and nothing stops him. And in fact, I want to say very briefly that that stage and this happiness that he had drove me to create international Holocaust programs. Voila. And what is your question to Dana? My question is, yes, how does it take uh, a kid, I don't know, if I had to take my mother and my father and to a place in Tunisia where I knew they were not going to come back and live with it, I will be terribly affected. How come, Dr. Schrager, somebody can tick and flip the page? This is my question. And be happy. Okay, there you go, Doc. Take it away. 
if we could all capture a piece of that magic, that would be wonderful. But it's true, there are people who have had difficult experiences and definitely some people come out a lot more unscathed than others. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that I could say why, but it's definitely documented that some people have come through less scathed than others. And I think the, um, the best we can do now for the rest of us is to understand um, what symptoms are going on and what can be done about it. And I know for me, and I think like a lot of other people here, these, these symptoms play in the background. We're so used to that constant worry going on in the back of our mind. You know, this idea that somebody could leave the house and not come back. Okay, that's never happened to me. That's never happened to my mother. But this happened to my great-grandfather. He never came back, okay? So for the subsequent generations, this is a very real possibility, okay? This is not just a, well, it's, it could happen, but it's unlikely, and these unlikely things you usually never think of. So that's why every time I left the house or my kids leave the house, there's this worry people don't come back. Um, it also took me a lot of family research to find out what happened to my great-grandfather. This was never talked about. I didn't know about this until the past couple years, you know, to trace the, the origin of how this all started. So um, I'm so happy Jeffrey got the discussion going. Some of the people spoke. I had your examples in my talk, and I know I contacted you ahead of time to ask you if I could use your examples, but much better is that you're here to tell your own examples. And um, let's go back to the part. Well, first of all, we stopped at George Costanza. Okay, so if anybody wants to see the whole episode and somebody put the link in the chat, um, but you could Google for it, it's um, Seinfeld season five, episode 22, the opposite. And I think the diner scene is the best scene, but it continues to be funny. And if you want to see the whole thing of how George is breaking out of his old patterns and overcoming his fears, um, and we're rooting for him every step of the way, um, you can continue watching that. Okay, so so Dana, before uh, you go before you go back into this, I want to encourage anybody who wants to contribute to raise go to the the um, the uh, reactions button and raise your hand so we can see that we set up a queue of hand raises. And, and Jackie, if you can go and lower your hand. I just, so, okay, go I, ahead. I just wanted to make a, one comment. With David's attitude of philosophy, he made a very happy family. His daughters and grandchildren adore him because of sa joie de vivre. And that's another point of a major point, I think. Thank you for listening. Okay, great. We'll come back. You'll have more to say, I know. So uh, probably. <laughs> I'm Devora. from Tunisia. Don't forget, and the survivor. All right, Devorah, go ahead. You have to <laughs> unmute yourself, and let's hear from you. Jeffrey, I actually appreciate that you call me a survivor. My mother would have said that she saved me from the Holocaust. She would be very upset to hear that I feel like a survivor. But my, my story is a little different. My mother suffered survivor guilt. Um, 
So I was born in the United States uh, to parents who escaped Czechoslovakia. I am, uh, my grandparents were murdered, um, were, were, were on a train from Terezin to Treblinka, murdered exactly 80 years ago, well, October 15th, 1942, um, which is nine months after the Wannsee Conference, uh, which decided on the extermination of the Jews of Czechoslovakia and of all of Europe. I was born nine and a half months after Wannsee, or two weeks after my grandparents were murdered, and I have considered myself a keeper of the flame. So I'm not actually uh, legally a survivor. The, the, I know that uh, in survivor groups, they're very careful about who is a survivor, but I have felt in my heart, through my empathy, through the guilt that I have inherited from my mother, um, and through the fact that I was not able to, okay, so I was three years old when my mother got the telegram from the one surviving cousin who detailed all of the murders that happened, about, you know, what she had been in Terezin with my grandparents. And, um, and my mother had been writing letters about me, about ascending tickets. She was thinking that there was someone on the other end in Terezin. She had an address in Terezin. When I was three years old, she realized that her parents had died before I was born and that none of this had gone through and that she hadn't realized what was going on, that she actually thought they were there. And she had a nervous breakdown for a year. She was shaking. She was terrorized. She was angry. I thought she was angry at me. I misbehaved because I had to give her a reason to be angry at me. Um, I, uh, anyway, who knows? I am actually telling my story and the story of my grandparents. I'm honoring my grandparents in a different program on November 2nd called Teach the Shoah, where what I am doing to try to deal with my own trauma is through storytelling. And um, I'm feeling I'm feeling that I'm connected, connecting those two things. Um, their murder, my, Fritz and Ida's murder, and my own birth, that I somehow inherited something from them. I don't know if that's the inherited trauma or part of it, but I somehow feel I have their spirit and things happen to me, I'm connecting it to them somehow in this. Okay, I don't want to get into magic, but there's uh, there's some kind of connection here, which is giving me nightmares. Um, my mother went to therapy when she was shaking, and my smile couldn't make her. You know, my my antics couldn't make her smile. She went to therapy and was told that they can't help her, that she's not crazy. The world is crazy. And as some people said, you know, she got over it. She, her resilience, she became a psychiatric social worker. She helped a lot of people, but, but this guilt, this feeling of guilt that I couldn't help her, that I couldn't realize 
that what this breakdown was, was actually her grieving her parents. So I have taken that guilt with me and apparently not only in how I behave in the world, but also in how I've been a mother and even a grandmother, that this guilt thing um, comes back in, in all kinds of strange ways. And I guess the first time I realized mm -hmm. that my story was in fact connected to the Holocaust, even though my mother was very clear, no, she saved me from the Holocaust. I was raised in America, that, that this, has nothing to do with me. This was her story and closed up. And I had to force her to go to Czechoslovakia, take me to Czechoslovakia, that was a whole other story. But what, what opened the curtain for me was reading Helen Epstein's book, The Children of the Holocaust. And I'm going through these stories of different people who were interviewed and saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's the black box in the back of my head that I can't open, that's me. And that's when I started understanding that maybe part of what I was feeling was directly connected to my Holocaust experience, my mother's Holocaust experience. Okay, Deborah, thank you. I don't wanna cut you off, but we wanna also try to get as many people as we can into the program. And, yes, thank you. Uh, okay, and you maybe wanna put that book title in the chats for other people to benefit from uh, your experience on that book. So Renee, I see you're in the next up. So uh, your hand is raised, so unmute yourself. And hello, Renee, nice to see you. Uh, and uh, glad you were with us, go ahead. Something I learned recently was that my grandmother, and we lived together for many years, never would open the door. Anybody rang the door or knocked on the door. She wouldn't open it. I don't know whoever opened it. If my grandfather was home, I mean, and she escaped without my grandfather. So I find that fascinating because I always jump up when the door rings. Oh, somebody's coming to visit me. <laughs> yeah. But that changed a while ago for me. And I wonder what that was about. Right. So why don't you tell the group about your father? Oh, okay. Quick, quickly about Quick. being a Richie boy. Okay, Richie boy, that says it all, right? Okay, so I'm sure your group knows about the Richie boys. Well, maybe give them a, give them a little bit of a... Uh, I'm no, sure oh, shaking their head. Okay. Richie Boys was a group organized or recruited by the U.S. Army for German refugees who were in the United States to become part of the intelligence corps. And they were formed in 42. And my father became one of those and captured a high-ranking SS official. So that was a good story. Okay, great. Now, Jeannie, I see your hand is raised. So go ahead and unmute yourself, Jeannie, and let us hear from you. Give us a little background on you because I, I, I think well, this is the first time we're meeting. So yes, welcome to the group. So I'm thank glad you. I am. I'm so happy to find you people. 
Um, my father um, left Russia right after the revolution, um, 19, I guess 1918. Um, I, don't, I don't know, I'm sure that I did have family in the Holocaust, but I don't know, but I have been haunted by it my whole life. Um, when I was, I guess 11, 12, I was in summer camp and um, there was a skylight over my, my bed in my bunk. And at night there was always a shadow that I guess the trees or whatever. And I was sure that it was Hitler looking at me. Um, and I have been obsessed my whole life since before that time. I'm sure that I heard stories as a young, young child um, from my father about leaving Russia at night, um, walking across from Russia to Romania to avoid being conscripted by the czar. Um, and these are all things that run in my head all the time. And when I saw the, the qualifications, I am terrified if anybody leaves my house until they return, I am absolutely almost um, unable to function. Um, I have had nightmares and I'm assuming that it's just inherited trauma. Um, you know, my mother used to say that at times my father would cry during the night and she would wake him up and say, what's the matter? What's the matter? And he would say, I'm running away. And I, you know, and, and the thought of him leaving his mother had 18 children um, and he left everybody except for a couple of brothers and there were already a couple of brothers here. And so the fear of separation in me is horrific. Um, I have been to therapy. There's a, there's a Woody Allen joke um, I've been to a hundred therapists. Um, and if the next one doesn't work, I'm going to Lords. Um, I'm almost, I was almost at that point of going to Lords to try to get rid of this and I work on it, but it's very difficult. And it's really reaffirming to know that I am not the only person that, that feels this way. So I appreciate this group and I'm, I'm so happy to have found it. Well, we're happy to have you. So Thank I you. also wanted to say hello to Tanya there, and it's nice to see you and meet you on screen. And hopefully you'll, you have your hand raised, which is fabulous. Ruth, you're up next. So this is Ruth uh, Linderman. She's a Holocaust survivor, a child from Vienna. So, and a huge participant in our programming. So I hope you unmute and let us hear from you. Uh, I think I'm unmuted. Can you yep. hear me? Yep. Um, I just wanted to insert something very quickly about my parents. Uh, we're from, we were from Vienna and my parents were definitely uh, assimilated. They thought of themselves as Austrians. And I realized not, not too long ago actually, and I'm, um, I'm pushing 90. So this was, took me a long time to actually realize it my parents were ashamed. They were ashamed of their fellow Austrians who did these terrible things to them, their friends and neighbors, people they'd known all their lives. Uh, and they didn't want to talk about that. It, it was definitely shame. And that feeling of, 
of uh, abandonment or if you know people are separated that is that is a legacy that most of us have that lived through any of this because even though I was with my mother most of the time there were many times when I didn't know if I was going to see her again and that when you're six and seven years old and you fully realize that your your parents could disappear it leaves a, a lifelong mark of course and it gets better as you go along and a group like this is very helpful because people are able to uh, talk about these feelings while no one else would understand and so that that makes it a, a very useful thing Jeffrey and, and you're doing a very good job with that. Well, thanks, Ruth. And I know your daughter is with us, so hopefully you'll, she'll raise your hand uh, through the reactions button. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your, how your daughter has handled what you've described. But we're going to go to um, up next is Fern. Fern, it's nice to meet you. I have, I don't know whether you have, um, and Ruth, just put your, um, use your, I now know that you want to talk, so I'm going to come back to you. So, uh, but right up now is Fern. So Fern, unmute yourself and Give us uh, what you have to say. Okay, <clears throat> thank you so much. Um, so, um, can you I'm, tell us a little bit about yourself before? Yeah, you go? yeah. I was I was gonna. Um, so I'm 64 years old. I was born in 1958. Um, my father was the sole survivor um, of his family. He was from Miskolc, which is now the third, second, third largest city in Hungary. Um, his entire family were murdered. Um, his father died in his arms in in, uh, in in a labor camp. He had a righteous Gentile who saved his life um, and tried to save his father's life. And his mother, he never really found out, I don't think before he died, um, but I found out through a Holocaust uh, museum that we, we assumed that she was taken to Auschwitz, but um, she, um, it, from according to the records, uh, she was taken in June and wasn't murdered until September. And I don't even know like what that all was. I mean, we'll never know. Um, but that's pretty horrifying because I think it's worse if you suffer. And I was named for her, so I'm the I'm the first child of of that generation. So um, I have her name. And my mother, uh, my mother's parents survived pogroms, um, so I have it on both sides. I appreciate you mentioning that. And um, so I have two children, one by birth and one by adoption. And I would say that both got it. Um, the uh, younger child is adopted. She's adopted from Guatemala. And so she has her own intergenerational trauma through the Maya people, the, the massacre of the Maya people. So it's um, compounded. Um, and I would say that I've I've been in in the world of understanding about the Holocaust since I was in my 20s, so 40, 40 plus years. Um, I've spoken on speakers bureaus as a child of a Holocaust survivor. Now I speak as, uh, as my father's legacy partner. I tell his story to um, kids so that it's not forgotten. Um, I've published. Um, it doesn't take it away. Uh, it makes it, uh, there's a healing that's better, but um, I'm seeing somebody for um, EMDR, it's eye movement, I forget what it stands for, but it's a kind of therapy treatment. 
to try to deal with some of this, like finally in my 60s, maybe be able to address some of this stuff. Um, and um, she had me look up the, the symptoms of complex PTSD. And I, I think there's an overlap with complex PTSD and uh, intergenerational trauma. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I guess what she says is that there's an energy and that you can move the energy. Um, and so that's, that, that's a good thought <laughs> to have. She's a psychologist um, focusing on uh, um, different kinds of trauma. Um, and so, you know, that's good to know that if you can, oh, thank you, <laughs> Tanya, um, that you can move this through energy because I've written and spoken about it my entire life and, and even interviewed my father, which was a form of healing, but it isn't the healing because all those things that everybody has mentioned still exist. Um, not wanting to be left alone and um, jumping when a, a car backfires or a horn blows. I mean, you know, like <laughs> as if I had been in a war, which, you know. So anyway, I think that I, I just wanted to say, talk uh, about those two aspects that uh, the intergenerational trauma um, part of passing on to our children and um, our, how it can be compounded with uh, an adopted child who has their own and um, and then then this concept of being able to move the energy uh, I it's, it's it's a form of hope but it's not I'm not there yet okay well thank you for your contributions let's go to uh, Ruth if you wanted to unmute yourself and we'll uh, hear from you you have to unmute Ruth please okay perfect Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Thank you. All right. And so, Ruth, is, Ruth, I want to mention, is a survivor. So she's going to give us a survivor perspective. Well, I'll, I'll give you one piece of the survivor perspective. Um, and that is, my mother was Austrian and had pretty much the same reaction to Austrians that we just heard from Ruth Lindemann about being ashamed of her countrymen. My father was born, raised, and educated in Prague, and I was born northwest of Prague. And my parents, they weren't the parents who never, ever, ever said anything, but basically it was swept under the rug. It wasn't spoken of a lot. Um, and what I would like to address is something I don't think I've actually heard yet today, and that is the impact of unspoken messages when you're a child. I was, you know, the Holocaust was my life from birth to a little bit more than three. So it was my formative years, not yet my really conscious years. And my parents always denied that we were survivors. We were refugees, but because we had not been in the camps, we were not survivors. So there was this whole kind of diminution of the experience. And as a child, I took it sort of as a diminution of me. And so the piece that I wanted to share is that I grew up in a very narrow sliver of what was all right. 
And the way that first came about is the unspoken message that all of us survivors must have gotten at some time or another, which is don't stand out in the crowd. Okay, it can, it can mean death, it will mean death, whatever the end of that sentence is, don't stand out in the crowd. So that was one side. The other side of my story, and I know it's a little unusual, is that, you know, I'm a child survivor, I'm a 2G on my mother's side of the family, and a 3G on my mother's side of the family. My mother's father, was a Nobel laureate and he won the prize. It was in medicine and he won it in 36. And I was born in 38. And making that lengthy story very short, he saved his own life because of the prize. Well, what happened is there's a huge dinner among other things. And he and my grandmother must have been sitting opposite or next to the Queen of Belgium at the time at her consort. And this woman must have been no slouch either. And she said to my grandfather, if I can ever help you, I hope you will let me know. That much my parents told me. And so Hitler went into Austria on March 11th. I was born on March 18th. And on March 11th in the evening, they picked up my grandfather and two of my uncles. They were not in Vienna, they were in Graz. And my grandfather was the only Jewish faculty member on the university. And they were, they were known in Graz, which is not a big city. And they came and got him. And they were in prison for 10 weeks until the Nobel money could be transferred from Sweden, where he had left it, to the Nazi bank in Austria. And then he was released. He had to get out of the country with zero money um, within two months. And in the meantime, my grandmother was not allowed out for other reasons of her family. So that's when he called, and I don't know how he called upon the Queen of Belgium, but basically she helped save, well, she definitely saved his life and indirectly, saved the lives of my parents and me by getting us visas out of Czechoslovakia. And then that's a whole story too. But what I want to present to you is on the one hand, don't stand out on the crowd. Don't stand out in the crowd. And on the other hand, be a little better than everyone else. And so as a child, because it will save your life as it did, so as a child, and actually, if I'm honest, as an adult too, it's a very, very narrow lane of permissible behavior. If on the one hand, you can't stand out in the crowd, and on the other hand, you have to be a little better than everyone else. And so some of the, and, and not better in the, in the bragging sense of how wonderful you are, but you have to have done something that makes you noticed while you're not supposed to be noticed. <laughs> and so you laugh now, but it's hard to grow up that way. I, I, I'm not laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, laughing I'm, at you. I'm laughing with you. I get it. So I was, and I'm embarrassed to say remain, a pathologically obedient human being. 
You tell me the rules, I follow them. You don't tell me the rules, I follow them. <laughs> and so, you know, I was told, for example, that age two, I spoke three languages, like a two-year-old, but nonetheless. But one thing that my mother did tell me is that I never, ever spoke the wrong language at the wrong time. Those kinds of things. So I just wanted to put that out there. So under your, some some okay. of the things that are not spoken can be very, very powerful in a life. So how do you feel this has impacted your children? Oh my goodness. Well, I have three of them and they're quite different one from the other. Um, are they, are you, are, you, are you in them? They are in you? Wow. Um, part, parts of each, well, parts of me are in each of them. They're really quite different one from the other. So what they picked up is quite different, I think. But I need to think about that more. I All right, well, we'll come back. My kids we'll come, to, we'll come back to you. So hi, Shoshana, nice to see you again. Unmute yourself and let us know what you're thinking. Um, so this is my first time being here. My, I'm 50 years old and I'm a granddaughter of Holocaust survivors that, um, that were in camps. My mother um, was born displaced persons camp. And I really think that her being a child of Holocaust survivors um, eventually led to her like being kind of hardcore assimilating um, she married my dad, who wasn't Jewish, um, and there were like five years old. I remember being told, "Don't tell people you're Jewish," and I remember. Um, oh, somebody's up. Mic is on. Um, <laughs> I'll, switch, I'll switch it off. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, I remember her saying stuff like that. I remember we didn't do any of the kind of like outwardly Jewish holidays. Like Sukkot was never done. Um, we didn't have Judaica in the house. Um, yeah. And then she is kind of like a low key hoarder and she used the just in case thing all the time as well. <laughs> and, um, well, how has this affected your children? So me, how has it affected me and your children? So it, I don't know if it's affected my daughter that much, but for me, um, my generational trauma awoke um after the charlottesville unite the right rally and i was so you know traumatized by that that i went ahead and got like reclaimed my grandparents polish citizenship because every bone in my body was screaming you have to have a backup plan to get out and um and so yeah that i mean it's calmed down a little bit since i've gotten that but um, that's a big way that it affected me is that I just felt like I had to, you know, have an out to get out. And you would had, go back to you would go back to Poland, Shoshana. You think so here's back? the thing: you don't just have citizenship. You have citizenship in Poland, but you have access to 28 other European countries. You would go back to Europe. <laughs> yeah. If, you would if, go back to, over Israel. Not yeah, not now because Russia is going to be all over that soon. But um, yeah, like I said, a lot of things um, calmed down after I got it. Okay. It helps to keep your options open. 
you know, like m maybe you'll never use it, but you have the option. And like you said, it keeps 28 countries as, as an option. So it's like part, it's part of like the backup plan and be and be prepared and be ready to go. Be ready, being ready to go, meaning leaving your country and being ready to 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 flee. Exactly. And Shoshana, where, where uh, do you live in the United States? Yeah. Out of curiosity, out of curiosity, I don't mean to turn this into and uh, to steer this into any other direction or to take from the others that are already already raising their hands. I'm just trying to understand a little better. Running, you you would prefer to run to another country than than to sit than than to sit in the United States and and bear arms, which you can't do anywhere else. You would feel safer. Um, I'm not here to like defend my anxiety. No, so. no, no. I'm just I'm just I'm just curious. I'm I'm just wondering where it's like the the fight or flight response because I I hear from so many different people. They either it's just it's just it goes it's it's like from one. From what I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious right. where, Jack, where. Jack, I don't want to put uh, Sean on the spot, so we'll just leave it there. Okay, okay. So, Tanya, I, know I understand. I didn't mean to put anyone on the spot. I'm just okay. curious, but that's okay. All right, Tanya, I'll, you're up next, and but, I also want you to mention your mom because your mom's a survivor. So, uh, welcome to the program. It's nice to finally see you and meet you. We've talked right. many times over email. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm not such a great speaker. <laughs> My mom's the one who's good at speaking. But I, I definitely not from the United States. So tell us where you are from. Uh, well, I'm originally from London, but I live in Durham. I'm, I'm in the north of England. I've put quite a lot of things in the chat box. So <laughs> hoping people feel they know me a little bit if they've been reading the chat box. But I think the things, I mean, my mother came on the kinder transport age four. And one of the huge things that was that she had her older brother with her and she absolutely swear she knows that that's what kept her together and helped her survive throughout five different uh, well four families and uh, uh four foster families and a hostel at one point so they were moved on for various reasons within the country within the uk once they'd come over uh, were saved on um through the train uh, and across the sea to, to get to, to the UK. Um, but I think that, that what I wanted to say a little bit is that some of my experiences are really different as second generation or second come third, because of course my grandparents were first generation and my mother. So it, the generation, what you call yourself, is not so clear. Um, but I thought that one of the things that you, it hasn't been said is just very surprising things that suddenly happen. So, oh gosh, a long time ago, I had little children, my children. We went to a play called The Kinder Transport um, by Diane Samuels. Anyway, we were at this play and it was me and the old, my older child and uh, my how, husband. How old, was your, how, old was, how old were your child, was your child? Oh, um, Adele must have been nine or 10, possibly 11. I, I can look that up. But what happened was I, I was sitting next to mum and throughout the whole performance, all about the kinder transport, it wasn't exactly her story, but there were themes that were really close to our family. Mum was stone-faced. She was no emotion and Honestly, I didn't even know that. I didn't notice that till later. 
I was streaming tears. It didn't take long. All that emotion, tears was coming out. And I absolutely now look back and think this is epigenetics. This is me expressing her uh, inability, you know, her tears. And she, we've had lots of uh, talks over the years and she will now, she will say that it, she, she learned not to cry during her time um, in foster families because it wasn't safe to cry. She didn't know how she'd be treated. Um, she thought her own mother was dead. Then, oh, oh her story is really interesting. She comes back, uh, her mother comes back like a ghost when my mum was age 14 after the war because her mother survived. Came up, came up, took several years to get to England to come and rescue, uh, find her, her son and daughter. And mum was just horrified. She'd thought she was dead and didn't want to leave, loved her, her last foster mother. And anyway, there's lots of stories, but one thing really important for me is if, I, I was so moved when you were saying about, if we had to escape, if there was something remotely similar in, in my life in the country I live, what I would really do is keep my family together. I think even if we died together, I, I don't, I think there's significant issues around uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult to say, but the role model I've read and love, I don't know if people know, Judith Kerr's uh, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, the family stayed together and they got out early enough. And, and that would be my real aim. Um, yeah. But I'm really grateful that my own children don't, so far, don't seem to have been affected. Uh, well, tell us a little much. bit about your, tell us a little about your mother. My mother. Um, she's in her 80s and I, I put in the chat she's recently got an MBE for her Holocaust education services so she she went it was actually um, now King Charles but Prince Charles at the time who gave her her, her medal her award and I, I think that that's just fantastic she's an amazing woman she's written lots of books the one about her life is um, meant to be for teenagers you know, I said to you when she was 14 years old, well, I think she speaks to 14 year olds, you know, this was me growing up and this is my story. And she's put it in very, you know, not too difficult language so that even uh, teenagers who don't read a lot can, can read it, can, can get something from her story. And it's called Person of No Nationality by Ruth Barnett because she had to go backwards and forwards from Germany. This, is, this happened later after the war with this flimsy piece of paper because she had no passport. And she felt like a freak doing that. And that's why she's called that. And she regained her German citizenship and was proud to be a Brit. You know, she, she, she developed her life after the war here. Have I said enough? Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but put your, put, your put your mom's book and uh, in, in any writings that you've done in the chat so we know you may have done it already, but you didn't. So no, Sammy, I, I will. Sammy, you got to get on the screen so we can see you. Sammy uh, Steigman, are you there with us? Sammy. Well, so I'm going to go back to uh, our next phase. Okay. Okay, Sammy, put yourself on screen. Yeah, I'm putting myself. Okay, uh, here. Okay. okay. All right. So, okay. what do you have? Sammy is a survivor. We've done several programs together. Thank you, Sammy, for coming. And yeah. why don't you uh, share with us what you want to say? 
It's my pleasure. Uh, interesting enough, I uh, live here in uh, New York. Uh, I was in a camp, labor camp, with my parents in an area that very few people know about, and that is Transnistria, because uh, when my mother and I were born uh, in a city that was part of Bukovina. But in uh, June uh, 22nd, 1941, when the uh, Operation Barbarossa, when the Wehrmacht attacked from the Soviet Union, behind them were the Einsatzgruppen, the special killing groups, and behind them were also the Romanian groups. And the Romanians are next, Bukovina, Basarabia, and uh, Transnistria. So uh, one of the interesting parts is um, every Holocaust survivor reacted differently through the trauma that they went through. Uh, and uh, obviously that affected uh, the parents and it affected me. Uh, my life was saved uh, after they finished with the medical experiments by a German woman when she saw the physical signs that I'm dying conservation at the risk of her entire family. She decided to give me milk. But interestingly enough, just to give an example of how a very simple story, I think it's a funny story, how it affects you. What happened is uh, several years ago, uh, okay, uh, and, uh, I was pre-diabetic. And uh, the doctor uh, you know, took a sample, blood sample and he said, Sammy, I have to put you on medication. I said, you don't have to. And he said, why? He said, because I know why, okay, my sugar is so high. But before I tell you, let me give you the background. Because we knew hunger, and it's not me, it's everybody that went through the Holocaust and everything else. Uh, my mother always taught me, okay, to leave the plate, to finish everything and to leave it Clean. We did not need a dishwasher. So anyway, so just to give an example, you know, how it affected me in later life. So when the doctor told me that he wants to put me on medication, I said, you don't have to. He said, why? He said, because I just bought two pounds of ice cream and I finished it in one sitting. Because whatever I see, if I don't have it, I don't need it. But if I see it, I must finish it. So when I told him, the doctor started laughing and he couldn't stop. Finally, he said, Sammy, can you do me a favor? I said, sure, what is it? I said, can you buy a set of two pounds and just one pound? Okay, but eventually I became diabetic and obviously right now uh, I'm doing okay. But I'm just giving an example how little things, okay, will affect you even later in life. And many times you don't even realize it. And uh, I was also a, an emotional parent to my parents. But the interesting thing is that I realized a lot of the things only when I started to speak, only in 2008, uh, because I have no memory of that period of time and my parents did not talk about it. The only thing that my father talked about, okay, my mother uh, had kids of depression, so obviously it affected me, but my father uh, talked about uh, from 42 people losing for the members of the family. So I never had an extended family. It affected me in many, many ways. 
but uh, I also grew up to be very independent uh, and being probably too independent, I never complain and people do not know if I need help or not because I never ask for it. So you can see that uh, all of us have uh, different stories who've been affected in uh, different ways. And uh, one other uh, thing that helped me, okay, besides the uh, positive outlook on life, I'm also able, and I don't know how I learned it, if, if it's from my parents or how, but I have also been able to compartmentalize. So when I have an issue to deal with, I compartmentalize, I deal only with that issue. Okay, and I, the other things are always put on the side. So how I learned about it, I don't know. Okay, thanks, Sammy. So I'm gonna turn it back to um, Dana. And Dana, if you don't, I think we'll go for the messengers, messagings as your next section. And then we'll give you, every, you a chance to get back in and do some of your uh, talking. Okay, thank you, Jeffrey. I'm so... Um heartwarmed by all the people who feel so comfortable to share and how much we all relate to so many of these feelings and these messages. And I just really appreciate everybody who's sharing um, their, their piece of their soul, their, their deep inner experiences. And it's all so relatable. Um, and I told Jeffrey that I wanted to sort of get some of this information out first to help stimulate people to have ideas to talk, to feel comfortable to talk. And Jeffrey said that wasn't necessary, that we could just jump right in. And Jeffrey was right, okay. So, um, and really that's the point of all this is, is helping people share a piece of their story. And I feel that every time I share a piece of my story, especially since so much of my uh, story uh, was in Pandora's box, everything was a secret. Almost everything I know, I do not know from my grandparents. I do not know from my parents. Everything I know was a secret. And so um, I think talking about it out loud helps take the power um, away from the secret. So, okay, so we, we left back like way earlier on in my presentation. I guess, Jeffrey, you can show my messages slide, but I'm not going to talk about it right now because really everybody um, who spoke out loud spoke about these messages and more. And I wanna to get to the healing part because I'm, I'm mindful of the time. So let's just put up the- um, All right, I have to keep talking because I have to go get it. Okay, so um, this is slide number five. Um, I, I just, I guess I wanted to say that um, I really like the way Ruth was talking about um, unspoken messages. That, that that was a piece of my talk that, that all these ideas have transmitted to all of us. And this is what everybody's been talking about. This idea that you have to have an escape plan. You have to have a backup plan. Um, there's so many of these things that maybe our parents and grandparents never told us directly, but these are all things that we learn. So I put four messages up on a slide just to get us going. And thank you guys, you, you, you got it going. Um, the first message that I wanted to talk about, which Tommy talked about, um, I think it's the next slide, Jeffrey, um, is um, the message that is positive messages. So um, yeah, okay, here's some messages. So the first one I wanted to talk about was positive messages about resilience and determination. And my favorite example 
of this spirit is uh, Tommy's mother and her chutzpah, but, but Tommy was already here to tell you guys about it. So thank you for being here. Um, I think we've already talked about a lot of these messages about uh, the fear and sense of impending doom. Um, the message, don't show your Jewish. Um, don't show your Jewish is a big part of Franny Sheridan's story. And um, Franny wrote a book, Confection, Confessions of a Jewish uh, Shiksa. She's uh, presented through Jeffrey's group and a big piece of Franny's story. She's a comedian. And a lot of her story, a, a lot of her act is about talking about being Jewish. And so that was um, a very scary for people and her very scary thing for her to do for people in her family. Um, really had that message very strongly that you should not show that you're Jewish. Um, okay, I wanna skip now um, to the next slide, Jeffrey. I guess it's slide six. Um, because I want to talk about paths to healing. Okay, I put up some of my ideas. There's a there's there's more ideas, but let's talk about as many as we can. Because I think we've really highlighted um, what it's like to have some of these symptoms and what a lot of these messages are that we've gotten from our childhood. And let's talk about paths to healing. Um, all right. So first thing, I guess I. Uh, um, there's many ways to get your story out, okay? You can write your story, you could share it out loud, you could express your story through the arts. Some people do this, they make films. Um, even, um, um, we've had a woman on here before, Lindsay, who talked about expressing her trauma through poetry, um, through acting, through dance. Um, it's like whatever channel feels accessible to you, but I think sharing things out loud really helps take the sting out, really reduces the pain. And some people are in, in, at a place where they feel complete healing, or like we heard Arlette say, her symptoms um, of what she called daymares um, and having intrusive thoughts about the Holocaust diminish 90%. So that's a huge, huge, huge success. Um, you might get 100% success or not, but I think you know 90% success or diminishing symptoms so that they no longer weigh you down. They might not be completely gone, but at least they don't like weigh you down or consume you um, is really for me, the definition of success. I think in a lot of cases it can be um, difficult to completely erase this experience like it never happened, like it had zero effect. I think that that's not um, a realistic goal for a lot of people. It's possible, but it's just maybe not um, how I define success. I define success as reduction of the symptoms so that you feel like you're, you're free to live your life. Um, I think it's Tommy mentioned in the chat today. Um, about a support group. So last year, I looked high and low for support, support groups and found very little, but it's a year later and there's something really great. There's a lot of um, groups called 3G. Um, I put it on a resource page. I actually have a resource page for people on my website. 
Um, but there's a group called 3G Forum. So if you're third generation and you want to get together with other peers and discuss what we're talking about, there's a 3G group. Um, I haven't yet found a 2G group, 2G group, but if you know of one, I think Tommy mentioned in the chat that he's in one. If you know of a second generation support group that has room or maybe knows of other groups, if you could put that in the chat, that would be great because I think we've all seen how much we benefit today from talking together with like-minded people who really understand deeply what this experience is like. Um, I also have a um, colleague and friend on the Zoom today and she may be starting groups. So if she does, I'm gonna let you all know about them in case you wanna join. Um, but other, other ways to heal, okay? Today, people mentioned psychotherapy. If you have a trauma-informed therapist, a person who really understands trauma, I think that it's tremendously helpful for unraveling your specific messages and the ways and you know the very specifics of yourself. So I have on the resource page, um, which is on my website, J Jeffrey will show the URL for that one more time at the end. Um, I have a website for finding this type of therapy. It's called therapyden.com and you can sort by types of therapy and you can, um, there is uh, intergenerational, a therapist who understands intergenerational trauma is um, a, an option to sort by. So, all right, just to get through these a little more quickly, and then I'd like to people have a chance to talk about the healing that has worked for them. Um, but I know people who have been greatly helped by yoga and meditation to help reduce anxiety. And for me, I want, I want to talk about the third grouping, which is seeking more information. For me, everything in my family, as I mentioned, was a secret. And so I had to understand what was fueling my nightmares. And I needed to know what the origin was. So I did extensive research and really learned a lot. Um, I interviewed family members that are still alive. I did genealogy research. I met amazing, helpful people in Facebook groups, and I pieced together a lot of my story. It was very scary to open Pandora's box. Like, I could almost get palpitations right now thinking about that like initial opening of the box, but I was in psychotherapy, and I really felt like my therapist was walking alongside me, that I wasn't doing this alone, and that she was doing strategies to lower the physiology, to lower the like overreactiveness of the anxiety so that I could, and keep me grounded in today so that I could um, walk through the family trauma. And I had somebody ask me, a friend, why am I opening Pandora's box? Why would I open Pandora's box? Like, why do I want to go through all that? And I honestly felt like I had no choice because I was having severe nightmares multiple times a week. All of a sudden, this is not something I live with in my whole life, but in my fifties, these nightmares surface. And the, I realized that the only way I was gonna get rid of these nightmares was to go through. I, I could not stay stuck. I had to go through and have faith that I would get through to the other side. 
and with and have resolution and I have resolution, I'd say my nightmares are 98% gone and it's really uh, relieving. Um, okay, so the last path of healing that I'm going to talk about right now is finding a way to honor your loved ones or honor their legacy or spread the message never again. And there's a lot of people on this Zoom today who do just this. They tell their family's story. Um, they've written books. They've uh, produced movies. They're part of speakers bureaus. And it's a very beautiful way to honor your family's legacy. And I'm doing it in a little bit of a different way. The way I do it is through sharing recipes and sharing a love sharing the best part of being Jewish, in my opinion, sharing the food, sharing the, uh, sharing the celebration, sharing the holidays. And in my groups, I encourage other people to live that kind of joyous Jewish life where you really get all the benefits of community and good food. And it's, you know, being uh, brave and not being afraid to be publicly Jewish and helping other people find the joy in being Jewish. So if this interests any of you guys, I have two Facebook groups for this and um, Jeffrey will show those URLs uh, coming up. But um, Jeffrey, let's see, what's the next slide? The next slide is, um, okay, so then uh, the next slide is how to find some of this information that I'm talking about. So on my website are gonna be all the notes from today. And there's everything that um, Jeffrey and I have already preloaded and I'll try to add more links that have been in today's chat as show notes. Um, and here's um, information about finding my Facebook groups. Um, if you go into Facebook and you search for Jewish cooking or Jewish holiday cooking, um, come join the fun that we're having around sharing Jewish recipes and sharing ideas for making holiday celebrations uh, more fun and meaningful. And if you want to reach me, I put my email there as well. Um, but I would like to now go back to audience participation. I would love for people to share um, the ways in which I guess Jeffrey will go to these last two slides at the very end to conclude. Okay. Um, so you could stop screen share for now. But I'd like to go back to audience participation um, and give people a chance to share the ways in which they have been able to uh, find healing, what's worked for them, and let's share hope with the group that uh, working towards healing is possible. All right, and I wanna also make everyone aware that if you came in late, we are using the um, uh, reactions button to, to raise your hand. You'll see here, I'm gonna, if you click on reaction, which is in the toolbar, you'll see a hand raise, which is up there in my tile. This is how we know you wanna speak. So it comes to the front of the screen. But I also want to follow up something that um, was spoken to by um, to Dr. Dana. And for me, I also, as I mentioned, I, my parents never spoke to me about their history. And um, I never wanted to know. Uh, I didn't want to open that box, even though my sister, uh, who's four years older than I am, I'm 64, uh, she recorded life documents, got my parents to narrate their, their life stories. And then she transposed them and sent them to me in 2008. I never opened them until 2019 when I met this, this, it's a social group, but it's also 
people are support. There are several people. My friends are on this group. Renee is on the group with me um, and um, several others are here. So I want you to know that in order for me to be able to do, so I would have never contemplated in 2018 that I would be here. If anybody in 2008 would tell me that I have a Facebook group that has, that has 4,000 members and 7,000 streams on YouTube and all of the other platforms, I would say they're nuts. I would have never done it. But in 2020, under lockdown, I started to lean in to try to figure out my parents' pathways. And I have watched over 500 Holocaust films mostly every film that I could find about my Auschwitz and my parents, um, Germany. My, my father was in, uh, escaped from Nazi Berlin at age 15. Um, and I've, and I'm writing, and I run a monthly program like this. Plus I talk to people all over the world and they help me learn more and more morsels about my parents' um, visits. So leaning in and, and creating a project. And I want to go back to Jackie because Jackie's, one of these things, we unmute yourself. I want you to do 30 seconds on we uh, are the tree of life and why, sure. you're do why you're doing it. Because on October 27th, we have a, we have a, a terrible memorial, which was the tree of life um, killings in Pittsburgh coming up. And so, Jackie, take the floor for us. Uh, 30, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'm not giving you 30 any more seconds. Time. Okay. Uh, if I try to relate We Are the Tree of Life to what happened today, I would say that we have survivors, consequently, they have families who have dedicated their life and their time in concentration camp by performing arts, with being that being one of their skills. They could be dancers, they could be singers, they could be uh, uh, musicians, and you know the story, it's a little bit everywhere. And I thought, how do we take and we learn a lesson of resilience, of tolerance, of acceptance, of courage, even of survival, even if those people passed away, by sending the message to the world of today. How a kid who is in difficulty, we can show him how to take the skills that he likes, painting, writing, and give this courage to himself. I call it, we are the tree of life. And why we are, because we are the tree of life. We are what happened to Pittsburgh, which initiated my program, uh, what happened to Pittsburgh in 2018. Of course, I probably did that in 29 seconds. I could, uh, um, can I share, can I share what's happening on the 24th? Okay, you get 10 okay. more seconds, hurry. Okay. On the 24th, I have a program. Uh, if uh, now that Jeffrey is okay, I will put you the link. It's done with the Shoah Foundation uh, of USC. Uh, we have uh, 400 registration as this now, and it presents the most powerful movie of the Holocaust, which is called Shoes. And Shoes describe the traveling of a pair of shoes. You don't see the people after having parachutes from the time of prior to the Holocaust to the 
naked feet, feet going down to the crematorium. There is not a word, only music. And I call it the most powerful one because you don't need to understand the wording. There is no wording, there is no language, but you can understand for music and all of us as individuals, we love music. Oof, exhausting. Okay, put it in the chat and we'll go back. Thank you. To, we'll go back to someone who hasn't spoken yet, Deborah Walsh. Nice to see you, nice to meet you. Please unmute yourself, tell us a little bit of background. You know, you have a, a couple minutes to tell us. Go ahead. Sure. Hi, I'm Deborah. Um, both of my parents, my mom and dad, are Holocaust survivors. Um, and actually, I've got a cousin who is on this call as well. Um, her dad, my dad, brothers, um, survived in the forests and hiding, escaped from the ghetto. And um, this was a very interesting topic for me. I I would say I kind of grew up in a bubble. My dad never talked about it. My mom never talked about it growing up, though I always knew the story, not sure how I knew. Um, you know, my cousin had a different experience. Her, her dad, my uncle talked about it all the time, but in my household, it wasn't Shoot. talked about. And I um, would never have considered myself as being traumatized, um, but I do actually, and listening to everybody talk today, there's an awful lot of things as overprotection, check. You know, when the ambulance comes, you think it's coming for you, check. You know, doesn't everybody live like that? Um, anxiety, um, the, the hiding the Jewishness. I married somebody non-Jewish and my grandmother actually said to me, pulled me aside, she's like, dear, does he know you're Jewish? Like, this is a big secret. Um, so I, there's definitely a lot um, that was said here today that I can relate to. Um, but I did want to talk about, um, Dr. Dana, uh, your, your talking about, you know, where's the healing? And I didn't even know it was healing while I was doing it. But the more I do it, the more I realize that there's stuff there um, that it's kind of bringing up. I started speaking, you know, since my dad never spoke about his story, um, all his family did. I started speaking on behalf of my dad in my child's elementary, middle school, actually, eighth grade, when I learned that um, they didn't have a Holocaust speaker. And um, the year before, my daughter, when they had to do presentations on um, somebody who survived the Holocaust, she went and she Googled something and found a story to tell, and it wasn't ours. And I realized, you know, that somebody needs to talk about it um, and, and tell my dad's story. And through the past five years of speaking in schools, um, I've found some, some works by my grandmother in Yiddish that I've spent years with my dad working through translating and pulling together a website for my family, um, which I've just kind of released to the family that I spent a few years on um, pulling together like an archive of all our family history that I can find, all documents I can find. And I think that process has been very enlightening and um, and healing when I never knew that there was healing needed. So um, just, I wanted to share that. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Deborah. And Ruth, yeah. do you have something to add? Unmute yourself, Ruth, please. Uh, I wanted to mention that uh, the World Conference of Child Survivors is being held in St. Louis this year. We canceled it for a couple of years because of the pandemic and uh, 
it is one of the most uplifting experiences. It was Ruth Bollinger many years ago, I forgot if it was 20 or 30 years ago that introduced me to this particular group. And the, the, uh, the uh, spirit of these people that have survived and thrived is, uh, it, I shouldn't say amazing, but it is something that will give us a chance to see what can happen when people overcome. We don't forget, and we and many of us have trauma all our lives, of course, but we've gone on to live our life on another level, and all that trauma underneath comes up once in a while, especially during these times when anti-Semitism is rising. But a conference like this uh, is a healing process that is has has no comparison. I wanted to mention it. I, I would think that some of you might look it up and go because we are now focusing on second and third generation people who must be telling our stories in the near future. And, and Ruth, um, can you put the the organization in the chat so we can we can uh, have it for us? Uh, yes, I, I can do that. Yeah. All right, terrific. Okay. Sammy, well, thank Sammy. you for, for giving me the time. Bye no now. Worries. No worries. And Sammy, can you please uh, share with us what you what you want to share with us? Uh, well, uh, one of the interesting things is uh, that I find that uh, uh, survivors, even uh, the second and third generation, okay, first of all, we have to tell the story. We have to educate the next generation. The changes, okay, will be made by the young generations. If you will look throughout history, uh, all the changes have been made by the young people. And right now, unfortunately, in schools, universities, there is no real education that is in that nation. Uh, that is, uh, and we have the social media, uh, which is a wonderful tool for good, but it's also a very powerful tool to spread hatred. Uh, we have uh, people in power, we have celebrities. They use their own words. Like for instance, you probably heard of Whoopi Goldberg. I was asked to reply to her comment when she said that the Holocaust is not about race. This is extremely dangerous. It's not that the people should be punished like Whoopi Goldberg, but they should be educated, okay? Because the young people will not do the research, they will follow the leaders, the people of power. The other thing that I'm saying is we have to be very precise in the words that we use. And okay, for instance, here it is the former prime minister of Israel used the word West Bank. I do not understand why leaders have to use the words of our enemies. What I'm saying is. Greeks are coming from Greece. Italians are coming from Italy. Jews are coming from Judea. And take a look sublimely the difference when you use the word Judea and Samaria. You, sublimely, that means that oh, we have returned to our homeland. The word occupation is out of context. You cannot occupy your own land. When you use the word West Bank, number one is confrontational. The first thing that you can people think of is occupation, okay? Being confrontational, nothing can be resolved. Call it whatever you want. 
But please, especially for the young people, and I go and I speak not only to the Jewish kids, to non-Jewish kids, and I tell them, please do not use the word West Bank. Use any other word that you want. Uh, disputed territories, whatever you want, okay? But not West Bank, okay? Thank Judea, you. Samaria, and if you don't feel comfortable. So that's thanks, basically Sammy. what I'm trying to say. Okay, thanks, Sammy. Renee, you have your hand up. Please unmute yourself. Okay, so this is uplifting. Is it okay to share an uplifting story? We love uplifting. Okay, so this was yesterday, and I put it in the chat, but when Dana said about recipes as a way of remembering, I started yesterday, determined to make my grandmother's and my mother's Rosh Hashanah plum pie. And it only now could I find the Italian small plums. <laughs> so her crust was what was is called a Mervatig crust which is more cake-like, it has eggs, most pie crusts don't. Okay, so my mother's re recipe, she typed it out, but then signs it, all my love, mom. And I'm going through and these recipes, you know, they don't exactly have measurements. <laughs> so, Tell me about it, I know that, I know that well, very yes, much so. For sure, well, I'm talking to the baker. <laughs> I almost never bake. So, it had been years, but it goes, you know, how does it feel and blah, 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 along the way. So I start, I do mise en place because I have a really tiny space and I get it all together. I start then working it. Ay, 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 too mealy. So I say, oh, I start all over again. I go up, pull out the flour, get everything together. I start over again. Get it to my own measurements by this time. You know, I'm playing around here, here. What does it feel like? I take the other, the new lump, <laughs> take the old lump, start smushing them all together. Then I keep adding and adding and adding. Eventually I get this pumpkin sized thing <laughs> instead of a nice round ball get it done. All right, so by this time, I must have spent two hours. In the meantime, while the dough is settling, I do all the fruit stuff. I have enough for the one pie and then some. Take the other thing. Doesn't I don't only have one pie pan because I now live in a small little place, but I have another little small rectangular Pyrex dish. I get it all together, finish the one pie, start the next one before I put it in the oven. And I get to the place, oh, I had to make my own breadcrumbs too, because I didn't have any breadcrumbs around, you know, to put on the crust. <laughs> so, then I put in the breadcrumbs and I realized on the second little baby one, I forgot to grease the pan. Well, there was no way I was pulling everything back out again. So we'll see what happens when I try to break that other one apart today. I hope I have a saw to cut through. <laughs> but I, so can, that's, I can identify with you. And I kept saying, you know, I wasn't even upset or frustrated. I mean, frustrated a little bit. And I kept looking. Oh, okay. I'm, this is quiet time. I'm getting to meditate here. I'm just 
standing up in the kitchen. I can barely stand anymore, but there I was. <laughs> it was just kept looking at my mother's little note, you know, all my love mom on the bottom. So there we are. That's my little uplifting experience from yesterday. All right, terrific. Um, so Jeffrey, um, I wanna add one thing that's important that came up today before we conclude, which is I, I wanted to clarify for people that pain is pain. So some people are wondering, you know, well, my parents weren't in the camps, but they were this, or they just got out, or they were in the forest, or for other people uh, like me, I have grandparents who were in the programs, you know, very traumatized by what happened in that time period in um, Tsarist Russia. And there's no comparison. Like there's like one pain is not worse than another or one experience is not worse than another. Like if your experience is painful and traumatic, there's no need to qualify or compare. And some people also wonder, I've gotten this question from people like, if my parents weren't in the camps, if my relatives were not in concentration camps, can they still be in the have been a part of the Holocaust? And the answer is yes. There were all different versions of harrowing experiences during the Holocaust. Obviously, the concentration camp experience was horrific, but there are other forms of traumatic experiences that happen to people during the Holocaust. So if in your mind you're wondering, does my experience count? You know, do my parents or grandparents' experience count? Yes, it all counts. Um, so I wanted to um, give uh, Sabina, who's hopefully you can get back on camera, your hands raised. And we'll, before we go there, Sabina, okay, Sabina, you're there. Unmute yourself. Welcome. It's nice to meet you. Hi. And tell us a little bit where you are and a little bit about your story before you ask your question. Sure. Or tell your story. Um, thank you. And thank you for organizing this. Um, I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Um, both of my parents were survivors of Auschwitz and other slave labor camps. Um, both parents lost their children and their siblings um, and their families. Uh, previous to being interred, the Einsatzgruppen killed the family members in both my mother's hometown in Ukraine and my father's hometown in what was then Poland is now Belarus. Um, so I heard a lot of very inappropriate things as a child, but they never explained everything to me or put anything to, into context. It all sort of came out in, in outbursts. And uh, then I spent many, many years as an adult researching and, and tracking down what had happened. Um, and I've also worked with a group called Yahad and Unum uh, to um, receive and then get uh, work with a friend of mine to translate witness testimonies of the mass killings in my mother's town and in my father's town. So that's a project I spent a few months on um, in addition to other writing. My question is, after all that, uh, so I have a son, I was extremely uh, protective of telling him anything. Um, I definitely raised him Jewish, he went to Jewish school. He, he um, you know, had his bar mitzvah. Um, we celebrated the holidays, but
but I was very, very, very protective of talking to him about the Holocaust and really didn't tell him almost nothing until he was about 13 because I, I felt that my childhood was taken away from me in ways that I couldn't get back. And I'm wondering how other parents dealt with that, um, with their children. Um, and I still, you know, I have an adult son and two grandsons, and I have shared some with them that I feel is age appropriate. But, um, you know, you can't give back that innocence about, about our broken world. And I really wanted them all to have the opportunity to be children before they had to confront the worst in humanity. So I'm really interested to hear how other people have dealt with their kids. And thank you all. Really appreciate all of you being here. Uh, the and, uh, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your question. And I, anybody who would like to answer that, please raise your hand. I have a quick answer. Oh, okay. I, I never told my children anything, dear, at, at all, because they weren't interested and I wasn't going to talk about it. And then one day, my grandson, who was 10 years old at the time, came home and said his teacher wanted uh, to find out about the grandparents. Everybody should tell about their grandparents. And he asked questions and I told him a little bit. And his teacher invited me to come and speak to that fourth grade group. And it had, I hadn't talked before. I was afraid I would start crying. I was very reticent, but I went. And those kids were wonderful. I told them what it was like to be a little girl and to be afraid and to have these things happen to me. And my point here is that they're never too young to learn. Your own children don't listen to you like they should. But if you have grandchildren, take advantage of passing on that story. To them, it's a, it's a whole other, they, they have a uh, buffer zone. And it's, it's okay to talk to young children on, on their level, of course. But don't be hesitant about it as I was. But I finally did do it and I'm very glad. Okay, Blima, unmute you know, yourself. I have, spoken with, I have spoken with older kids. I've, I've gone to speak at high schools and in college classes. Okay. Yeah, but that's too late. They need to learn about it sooner. Okay. And Blima, why don't you unmute yourself and join the join the conversation? Thank you. I am Blima Lorber from Brazil. I am daughter to survivors. Okay. My parents were maybe a little different from yours. I heard all your emotional experiences and I feel a little bit different from you too because my mother wouldn't speak, but my father would speak. So I knew from very young that they were both Holocaust survivors. My mother would speak, but she would write. She was a writer a composer, and, but she wrote in Yiddish, right? And I couldn't read Yiddish because I was very young, but I understood Yiddish and I, and I had the feeling that something was not so well with her. She had various nervous breakdowns. 
and my father had to cope with it and keep the family going, right? It's something, the only thing really I miss is that I didn't have great grandparents together. I never knew why when I was very young, so I grew up to know what happened to them. But I don't feel I have a traumatic experience. I work with Holocaust survivors. I interview them. I am very focused in partisans, resistance, which is one of my favorite themes. And I work with people who study the Holocaust. And I study, and I'm going on and on, and some people come to me to try to understand what really happened in this in such a place. Uh, I went to Poland for 28 times to research, to find out what happened to my family, to take professors to Poland to research. And it took me five years to enter Auschwitz. I think it was too much for the first time, for the second time. And it was too much for my father to go in. I was very worried about him. My mother wouldn't go to Poland, but my father always went because the staple never left his head and heart. But uh, we went to Auschwitz, but the worst part of the trip was going to Majdanek and Sobibor because those were the places where my families probably were killed. And for me, something that was very touching was to see my father crying like a little child in Sobibor and Majdanek. That really touched me. And I said, well, it's time to keep things going. So I'm, I work with the Holocaust almost every day. I have people asking me. I try to find families. I put families together from all over the world, two or three families per year. And as Jeffrey knows, I'm getting a book out now about Brazilians and the Holocaust. So I'm very much involved in the Holocaust but I don't feel I have a trauma. Okay, and I wanna just let everyone know that um, Blima has, uh, and myself, we put together an interview series for Obligations of Memory. There's five episodes that, and it's on the JCHR YouTube channel, so you can hear all about Blima. And the last episode is about her research, specifically about Brazilians who were resistors, if I, if I got that right, right? Okay, so we're getting close to the end and I don't wanna cut off anybody. Um, is there anybody wanting to uh, add their voice into the program? Remember this program is recorded and I'll get to you, uh, Zola, thanks. And um, if you raise your hand through the reactions button, you'll come to the beginning of the screen so we can easily see you. There's a lot of people still with us and it's hard to collect. Um, I will take, um, Anybody's hand who raised will take all of those and then we'll end. So, and then I'll have some conclu concluding remarks. So go ahead, Zola. 
Um, so I just wanted to get back to what Sabina had brought up. Um, I belong to a lot of groups on Facebook, 2G, 3G, and in, in South Africa, we have a small community of survivor children. Um, basically, my, I would encourage you to tell your story, to tell your children in appropriate ages, to let them know your history, your story is important, their grandparents' story. There's so many people who are sorry now in their 60s and their 70s or their 50s for not asking the questions, for not knowing really what their parents and their family went through and their whole legacy that they can carry forward. There's just so much regret and I would say absolutely aside from the importance of having the story for history and for learning and for never again, so many people want their parents' stories. And I know just personally for ourselves, my father told his story. He was a journalist, he wrote articles in newspaper. My sister desperately wanted to know all the stories. She interviewed my father. My mother never wanted to speak about it. Every time you asked her, she came up with better you shouldn't know. And she lived her life full of bubbliness and happiness and bringing joy and music to others and life. Um, but in her quiet moments, there was a lot of depression that we didn't know about. She was just quiet at home a lot, but she wouldn't talk. And she said, better don't talk. And there are still so many questions that we have. And my sister's play that she wrote is called Better Don't Talk about my mother's life, which you can all watch. It's a full length musical. It's free on YouTube. And I encourage because there's a lot of what we talked about today that's there. But definitely, I would say, tell your family your stories. So do me a favor, Thank put you. that in, put that a title in um, to you into the, the chat. chat. Mm -hmm. And also put your website. I want to also let you know that uh, Zola has been kind enough to do an Obligations of Memory interview series with me. And it's a musical series. She has an absolute beautiful voice. She writes her own material. So I, I really want you to go and, and, and watch that five episodes. It was, it was a terrific, fun uh, time. So I'm going to conclude uh, our program today and I wanna share with you. So I'm gonna share the screen. So you can see here, I've been busy over the last uh, several months as you know, I no longer have, are, on, are on Facebook and that is because Facebook has removed me from the Facebook platform and banned me. So instead of making uh, my emotions in a negative way, I channeled my emotions to building new technology, which is what I have done my whole career. So if you notice up here, there's a website called jcrnow.circles.so.home. It is part of a platform of jcrnow.com, which will come next week. And you will be able to now see all the posts that I used to make on Facebook are now listed here. And so I have all these different channels, Jewish culture with all kinds of articles. I have and what makes it very important to me. I have a Holocaust culture uh, channel of all the relevant. I post, I post to this channel every single day, multiple times a day. There's an anti-Semitic channel of the latest going on in, in, um, and what's happening about anti-Semitism. There is culture and art here from the work that I have putting together. Those of you, and Renee, you spoke about um, baking. 
I have my mother's columns in Mama's Kitchen on here with all my mother's recipes. Uh, I'm publishing them once a week uh, and you can find the recipes that I've made for it that remind me of my mom. There's also the Cooking and Baking channel, which Dana is gonna be posting into. And there's Jewish music and travel and your health and the Yiddish channel. And what I'm especially proud of is what's gonna come next. Here is a, here is a area um, called live discussion. So if you're interested in continuing in this discussion after the, after the program, you can come in here you see, I put the URL in chat and you will be able to join the group and you, I am right here with, and you can type in messages and, and Dana and I will come on board and we'll continue the discussion. This is like 60 minutes after time. And we now will have this available to us for every single one of our post groups. So all you have to do is join the group and you can ask a question and we'll answer you. The other thing I wanna share with you is the new, um, JCR Museum, where all of our programming is available now in museum format. So here there is collections of the Obligation of Memory. So all the Obligation of Memory pod, um, interview series are here, as well as the Keepsake Diaries. And all the live Zoom events are now part of this program. And we're really excited to be able to bring this to you. So over the last five months, I've been working really hard to be able to put this together for the group. It's all free of charge. I hope you share this with your family, your friends and the communities of interest. And um, anytime you wanna to talk to me like you used to do on Facebook, just come here and I'm here all the time posting. So I also wanna conclude by telling you our next event is November 13th. And um, it is with two book authors, uh, exciting Mark Stevens, and um, David Tabaski, uh, and you can see when I launch JCR now, you'll be able to register. For now on, all of our programming will require registration. I want to make sure that uh, we protect it from what's going on in the world of anti-Semitic, uh, uh, potentially um, fishing expeditions. So it's all coming now on a program. Thank you, thank you, thank you for so much for your contributions, your sharing, this will be on the YouTube channel. This recording will be on the YouTube channel tomorrow. You're free to watch it, free to share it. And I see a couple of hands are in the air in a second. So Dana, I'll go let you have the last words and I'll go to Jackie and I'll go to Zoe. Thank you so much to Jeffrey. Uh, we all owe Jeffrey a big round of applause for being our organizer, our support, our cheerleader. I also wanna thank everybody who participated today to make it so rich and so meaningful. I really appreciate everybody who shared a little piece of their heart. Um, it was enriching for all of us. Um, I related to everything everybody said. I think we all can see ourselves in everybody speaking. So each person that spoke really helped um, all of us along in this journey. And um, thank you for being here today. And Jackie? Okay, very, very fast in, the, in your view museum, are you going to make an exhibit of Jewish artifacts? Yes. As you know, I have many of them. I know. But we were talking about the iPod. I, can, I cannot do technology. It's, it's, it's above me. I'm too old for that. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many people follow that. I am 82. Forget about it. But my point is, 
I, you know that I have a number of artifacts of museum quality piece and I would, ah, what happened? Call me. You're going to call me? I'll call you, you call me. Uh, no, you call me. Okay, fine. <laughs> I will have the answer. <laughs> Anybody who wants to uh, make themselves available for an obligation of memory interview series, just get a hold of me. Uh, Anybody who wants has a keepsake that will memorialize their parents or some trip that you've made in the Jewish uh, experience, please, uh, we can make a short form uh, review. All of these two hour programs are online in the museum now. All of the obligations of memory interview series that have been done are online in the museum and the keepsakes. So I've been very busy uh, and uh, it's, it's something I'm very, very proud of. And I honor my parents continually with this effort and work. So thank you so much for coming, being part of this, and you'll be able to see the recording if you're, if you're interested tomorrow. Thanks a lot, everyone. And if you want more, you can come over and I'll be over there right now to talk to you and Dana will join me. Thanks, bye-bye. <laughs>